One of the questions that we have to ask when we're talking about the intersection of faith and life is the will of God. Where does God want me to go? Maybe those are questions that you ask yourself. What is God's will for my life? Which direction should I take? Which job maybe? How will I know what it is that God wants me to do? Should I be a plumber or should I be a doctor? Are they really that much different anyway? Does God even care about my little life? How do I know which opportunity should I take? Have you ever asked any of these questions? What is the answer? Is it clear? Does God speak to you in a voice? Or does he often seem sometimes silent? When I was little, littler, I don't know if I was little, I used to think, you know, if God wants something of me, either he's going to let me know or I can just ask a question and, and he'll show me some sort of sign. And for me, it was stoplights. We'd stop at a light and I remember my dad driving and I'd be praying and I'd say something like, okay, God, if you want me to do this, I want you to turn the red light to green right now. And I'd open my eyes and it would be red. I'd go, okay, Lord, now I... If you want me to do it right now. And then my dad would go, one, two, three. And he'd snap his finger and the light would change. And I would think, oh. And then I realized a few years later that he was just looking at the other light and watching it change and then counting it off. But I'm not the brightest kid in the world. Apparently, it took me a while. And we, we all used to, we all have done, I shouldn't say we used to do these things. We have all done these things. For some of us, it's hard to know what it is that we're supposed to do. Some of you have known from the very beginning what you believe God is calling you to do. Exactly what you think it should be. My college roommate, his name is Andre, and he... Um, he knew from the time he was in about fourth grade that he was going to be a clinical child psychologist. And that's exactly what he does today as a very successful practice in Pasadena, California. And he knew when I first met him when we were 19 years old, he knew that's exactly what he's going to do. He never wavered. My son, Isaac, told me in first grade, he said, Dad, I'm going to be an orthopedic surgeon. I said, do you know what that is? And he looked at me like, it's a bone doctor. I was like, oh, yeah, that's true. That's exactly what it is. And my favorite line that he's ever said to me is I said, oh, yeah, you and Aiden, you guys can, that's his best friend, you guys can come up with a practice. You know, you guys can put a practice together and practice medicine. And he goes, Dad, I don't want to practice. I want to do it. <laughs> I was like, right on, man. I thought that was perfect. Um, but for others, some of you, the opportunities just seem endless. Maybe it's because you've kept them that way. I, I was like that. I am like that. I have to say, I've never wanted to miss out on anything. I have a fear of missing out. And because of that, I kept as many options open as possible. Two bachelors of arts degrees, one in English, one in religious studies. Music was something I always wanted to do, so I played in multiple bands at the same time. Preaching was something that I always wanted to do, so I preached everywhere I could. I didn't want to miss a thing. Right now, this is how my life looks. I'm the lead pastor of the Crosswalk Church in Redlands, California. I'm an assistant professor at the School of Public Health at Loma Linda University um, Health. I am a consultant for Loma Linda University Health in their Wholeness Institute. I am an adjunct professor at Azusa Pacific University, a Wesleyan university that's right next door to us. I am a chaplain also at Azusa Pacific University, and I adjunct at La Sierra University. And I have three children and one wife. And I see them every once in a while. 
I have a fear of missing out in my life. God has always been a God of open doors. He just knows how to do it. He seems to be in the opening door business. And when my life and my faith began to intersect intersect more profoundly, I didn't find God closing more doors. I saw him opening more doors. And so I went to scripture to see what it says about God opening doors. And this is what it says in Revelation 3. If you have your Bibles, feel free to turn there. Revelation 3, verses 7 and 8. He says this, To the angel in the church in Philadelphia write, These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. And I love this text for a couple reasons. First of all, it talks about the reality of God. God is powerful, and when he opens something, no one's touching it. And when he closes something, no one's going to open it again. There's this phrase that you hear every once in a while. I don't know if it's as popular here. It's kind of a Christian cliche um, that says, when God shuts a door, he opens a window. It doesn't say that in the Bible. Anyway, it does. It says it in Hezekiah twelve fourteen. Some of you are like, my Bible doesn't have Hezekiah. Um, It's right next to cleanliness is next to godliness. And God helps those who help themselves. They're all in Hezekiah. Um, Some of you are still like, what what, what does he mean? Why why are you laughing? No, book of Hezekiah. It's all right. Forget about it. But see, God is this God of opening doors, but he's also a God of free will. So God will open a door, a door that no one can shut, but he's not going to make you go through it. And God may not just open one door, but he may open multiple doors. But he's probably not going to make you go through them. And sometimes we have to ask ourselves the question, is God interested in which door you go through? Or is he more interested in the person that you're becoming as you go through those doors? And I think that's important. This week, we're going to talk about a few different wills of God. And tonight, we're talking about God's will of decree. His will of decree is seen at this intersection of faith and life. While sometimes God is silent, sometimes God is powerful and providential. And he moves in the decisions that we make. Columbia researcher Sheena Iyengar has found that the average person makes about 70 conscious decisions every day. That's 25,550 decisions a year. Over 70 years, that's 1.78 million decisions. And since Avenus live a good 10 years longer than that, we'll say it's about 1.9 million decisions. Every year. Albert Camus said, life is the sum of all your choices. You put all those 1.9 million choices together, and that's who you are. But is it that? Is that it? Some choices are huge. Some choices are tiny. Some things make a huge difference, and some seemingly not so much. Are we just the sum of our choices? Is Camus correct? Or is there something more? Is God mostly concerned about which door we go through or who we are becoming as we go through those doors? 
Is God mostly concerned about the achievements that you accrue or the things that we consume on our way or even about getting there? Or he's more concerned about the person that you are being molded into through those decisions that you make. I think when we are talking about God's will, we need to take a look at a few different kinds of will. What is God's will for my life? But I believe this. As Augustine said, the will of God is the necessity of all things. In other words, what God wills will happen. And what happens is according to God's will. Ephesians 1.11 says this, In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his. There are certain things that God simply decrees and they happen. Let there be light, light. He didn't say let there be sun yet, just light. Creation happened because it listened to the word of God. If you have power, you can decree things. I will come home at night and walk into my house and go, I decree it is time for dinner. And everyone looks at me like, what? And my wife looks at me and says, are you making dinner? And I say, no, I don't think so. And she says, you have no power here. And my arm goes back down. You can only decree things if you have power. If you don't have power, you're just a guy with his arm up sounding strange. Pretty much. Um, And God has the power to make things happen. Creation happened because it listens. Matthew 10, 29 and 30 are not two sparrows sold for a penny and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs on your head are all numbered. Psalm 139, 16. Your eyes saw my unformed substance in your book were written every one of them. The days that were formed for me when as ye, I, yet there was none of them. Isaiah 46, 9 and 10. I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning and the ancient times things not yet done. Saying my counsel will stand and I will accomplish my purpose. Sometimes God releases his power into the world and into your life. This life. This intersection of faith and life. Sometimes he releases his power into it and we get swept up in the wind and the current of God's will for our life. That is his will of decree. And that is a wonderful place to live, although it feels very reckless. 135 mile, or sorry, kilometer per hour winds. I don't even know how many that is in miles, like four or something. Um, Or longer, I don't know. We... When I was in fourth grade, America was like, metric, we're doing it. We're finally going to do it. The metric system, which is way easier and makes way more sense. We got about three and a half months into it, and the whole of North America went, ah, it seems kind of hard. We just stopped. It's such a shame, unfortunately. 135 kilometer per hour winds is pretty fast, isn't it? It's pretty overwhelming. This is the will of God in our lives. At times, his providence, his ability to move within the world takes us and moves us from one place to another. Have you ever felt that? Have you ever seen that happen in your life and felt so out of control? I I had a friend, I I was in high school, and he was a little older than me. I was like a freshman my first year, ninth grade. And he, um, we got in his car, he had a new Trans Am. That's how old I am. Like, what's a Trans Am? 
it's a very, like, it's a muscle car, right? And this guy did not have muscles, but had a muscle car. And um, so I don't know what that says about him. But we get in the car, and he's like, hey, man, want to see what I do when I'm on a date with a girl? And I was like, hmm. <laughs> That's weird, man. I thought we were going to lunch. And he's like, no, 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 you'll love it. And I'm like, I don't feel like I will. Um, and so, so he starts, he starts driving and all of a sudden he hits like 90 miles per hour on this, on this road. That's about a 35 mile per hour speed limit. And he's just flying down the road. And I'm like, Hey man, I don't want to die. And he's like, no, no, girls love this. And I'm like, Oh, okay. And then, and he goes, and then he grabs the parking brake and he hammers it and he goes spinning around. I'm screaming like a girl. I didn't know what was going on. And he comes to a stop and he hits the, he hits the gas again and he goes tearing off and he's like, <laughs> and I'm like, <laughs> and it was a weird little exchange of laughs we had there. Um, and we get to, I don't know, we were going to Taco Bell or something. We get to Taco Bell and he careens into the parking lot and he lands parks. I'm frightening. And he's like, how'd you like that? I'm like, not a lot. And, um, and he said, yeah, he said, it felt like it was out of control, huh? And I was like, yeah, and death is what it felt like. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, isn't that awesome? And I'm like, no, not so much for me. Um, and he said, yeah, but what you don't know is that I know how to do this. And I was like, do you? <laughs> really? And he said, yes. Um, he had taken like this stunt driving course that his dad had gotten him for his 16th birthday. This guy knew how to drive. He should be arrested. Don't get me wrong. But he knew how to drive. He's like, you were safe the whole time. What's that? And my voice went up that high for like the next three weeks. Like, what? What's that? Um, I went home. My dad's like, how was school? I was like, ah, what? Homework. Um, but, uh, but... What was interesting is that I was pretty safe, even though I felt out of control. God's will of decree is like that in your life. When God says go, you go. Now, I don't know how all these wills work together, because we're going to talk about at least four different kinds of wills of God. The will of decree, his will of desire, his will of design, and his will of direction. All those we're going to talk about and how they're expressed in this life of faith that we lead. But as a pastor, the question I get asked more than anything is, what is God's will for my life? What is it that he wants me to do? And that's a tough question to ask pastors, because by and large, we don't know you that well. And they come and they, pastor, what is God's will for my life? And I I want it. My honest answer is, I don't know. I don't know. What do you think? Which is not good counseling. People come into my office and sit down and say, I just want to know, what does God want me to do? And for each one of us, it's a different kind of answer. But I know this, when you are caught up in God's will of decree, in what he has planned and will make happen, it almost is as if you cease to make the decisions Now, I know we can get into a theological argument about free moral agency if you want to. And we will as we talk about this this week. How are we still free if God's will of decree is happening? 
But somehow we are. In the midst of this overwhelming power, he says, you too. You have to make some of these decisions too. Um, I remember when I first started dating my wife. Um, she was my girlfriend first, and then she was my wife. Um, <laughs> Because that's the order it takes most of the time. But she was only my girlfriend for like um, two months. And then I asked her to marry me. Um, and she said yes. And it's 20 years this year. Yeah. Thank you for clapping. It was so hard for me to stay married to this amazing, beautiful woman. So yeah, thanks for that. I've been hard at work. If she were here, you should be clapping. For you, you should be like, really? You? It's a very kind woman. Um, but, but I remember, I remember beginning to date her. And I'd always dated these um, kind of overbearing women for some reason. I don't know why. That seemed to be a pattern in my life. And, and Sarah came to me and we were dating. And she, I asked her a question and she said, I'm not going to make that decision for you, which was new. Because I grew up with a wonderful mom who was great at making decisions, a very um, evil older sister, because um, that's all older sisters are, is evil. Yeah, see, a bunch of younger siblings in here. I preach. All, all, all the older sisters are like, what? We're not evil. Yes, you are. Um, you don't mean to be. You just have to be. That's the way it works. Um, but luckily, and you may have heard me say this before, luckily, um, younger brothers are born with the spiritual gift of annoying. That's a spiritual gift we have. So it all equals out. But I remember my wife saying, I'm not going to make that decision for you. And that was the first time I'd heard that. She said, because you need to make that decision for you. And that's, I think, how God works with us. Sometimes his will of decree takes us and moves us. And sometimes he says, but you have to make that decision too. It's such a fascinating and mysterious interplay of God's will. But he's there. The most important aspect of the discussion of God's will is the fact that God is in proximity to us, interested in our own little lives. A God who opens a door that no one can shut and shuts a door that no one can open. But he somehow still says, I need you to play a part in this as well. That's part of, that's, that's some of the deepest part of our theology is Seventh-day Adventists. We don't come from a reform background or a Calvinistic background where God just chooses everything because that is the greatest love. Although sometimes that feels like it would be. God says, you too. He creates all the animals and then he looks at Adam and goes, you too. You've got a role to play here. Which is a great story in that, in that narrative. Because Adam's naming all the animals and then he's like, hmm, there is no other one of me. And God's like, oh, you're missing something, aren't you? And Adam's like, yes, may I have one? <laughs> and God says, you may sit down. Um, I'd like to take your rib, symbolizing equality between the sexes, please, people. No male headship. He didn't take a, he didn't take a bone from Adam's heel. He took a bone from his side and created a helpmeet, which is a completion so that men and women are created equal in the eyes of God and certainly in ministry too. 
Can we please just agree to that? And then Adam sees her and goes, whoa, man. And names her that way. Which, if that were the way I named my children, it would have been this. Ugh. And ugh. Which I don't know how to spell, so we ended up with Hannah. Um, but... But somehow God says you too. God's will of decree, the tsunami of God's will moving us from one place to the other in ways that seem like we are careening through life, but yet God is simply in control. And then he says you too. You be a part of this too. I'm glad God has a will of decree because it means God is powerful. It means he can, he can speak the heavens into motion and he can speak the seas to separate. And he can fill them with all kinds of animals because he has that kind of power and decree. And in my life, he can do that sometimes. And sometimes I need to hear that. I don't know what God's voice sounds like. Kind of has to be like Darth Vader. I don't know what it sounds like, but I know when I hear it whether I hear it through the people in my life that are speaking God's decree towards me, whether I hear it when I'm out in nature and I see the decree of God and his love, whether it is me in my quiet moments feeling the smallest hint that this is the direction that God would like me to go. It is a powerful will, and it always includes me too, and you too. So we are blessed in this intersection of faith and life to know that there is a God who is interested, willing to open doors, and willing to move you when you need to be moved, when it suits his will, but at the same time asking you to be an active participant in his will. We'll continue to unpack that this week because it's big questions. Sometimes the biggest questions for the tiniest little decisions that you have to make. But it all fits towards this life of abundancy that God has created for us. Not a life of scarcity, of not enough, but a life of so much and almost too much when we are held deeply within his will. What I'd like you to do this week as we continue to talk about this, both in mornings and in the evenings, through all these different intersections, I want you to begin to think about the doors that God has opened. Could be one, two, a hundred. You may be living with a fear of missing out. Or there might be one door that is so clear to you, it, it looks like a glass door. But this week, I want you to think about it. And I want you to pray about it. Be on your knees. I want you to be open to the movement of God in your life. And I want you to be listening to how God is speaking through the people around you. Those who love you and care about you. That you are spiritually accountable to. So that you might begin to know what it is that God is saying to you that you too might be a participant in his will.